Morning, everyone. We're working here. You hear me all right? Sounds good. It's a pleasure to be here and take this opportunity to share from the Word of God. And uh, Dennis asked me to just, gave me permission to say a few words about Emmaus Bible College as we as we kick off. I know that there might be quite a few of you who are familiar with our institution where I serve, and there may be some who are not at all. So I wanted to present to you a kind of a day in the life of a student and maybe a, a few alumni anecdotes too, just as we get started. Our students are engaged in writing papers and doing research. They're involved in regional athletic tournaments. We're part of the National Christian Collegiate Athletic Association. We play in the regional Midwest against other Christian institutions. Our students do... Hello? We're back. One of our students was involved in internship at RSA at Internet Security Company in Dubuque as part of our cybersecurity program. We have a student organization focused on missions. They meet every week and talk about what missionaries are doing. We have missionaries visit. They are inspired about what God is doing around the world. Emily, uh, a student in our teacher program, did her student teaching internship in South Korea this spring. This summer, myself and a group for um, a mission experience at a Christian academy teaching English, inspiring, seeking to attract some to come and join us at Emmaus Bible College for their education. Did a nursing internship in Tel Aviv a couple years ago. Debbie is a pre-med student. She's doing an internship in Augusta. Hispanic medical practice, preparing. She wants to serve God as a doctor in Central America, and she did her pre-med and her Bible and theology program through us in a joint program with the University of Dubuque. So our alums are all over the place too, and it's not all global, but it's all serving God. Molly's doing an internship at uh, Carver Elementary School right in Dubuque. Daniel serving in Tanzania, working at a school for the deaf, Burundi in Tanzania with his wife who's a nurse, serving God, planning churches, doing work. Perhaps some of you have encountered his ministry as well and support some of the kids at the school of the deaf that he works at. On the other hand, Tiffany, working at the Dubuque Dream Center, an inner city mission in Dubuque, a ministry for Kids, after-school ministry, works there full-time, supports the ministry, teaches. Uh, they get a lot of support from the city of Dubuque, but I asked her recently, do you have liberty to speak to kids about the gospel? Does that liberty still exist? Uh, as you reach more people and getting funding from public sources. She said, absolutely. No one asked me what I'm telling these kids. I'm allowed to share the gospel with them. I apologize. We're going to get... Yeah, if you can mute it. Can you hear me? All right. I can't get the clip working. It'll go down there. Good enough. Joel is a, a lawyer in Minneapolis. He wrote 
a letter on behalf of the college soliciting, uh, speaking about his journey through Emmaus Bible College to the legal profession. He wrote a letter on behalf uh, of his background, which we use in recruiting and enrollment. A student came to, uh, this fall holding that letter saying, where's Joel? Where's Joel? I'm here because this guy wrote me a letter and told me about his background and how God used his time at Emmaus Bible College to prepare him for a ministry. So did you know that there's three Iowa State Legislature members who are graduates of Emmaus Bible College? So I'm building for you perhaps a larger picture of what our alumni do, what activities take place, that these are not just people walking around with uh, long robes and you know, serious faces and studying the Bible all day long and having no fun and going out and being like suppressed missionaries in uh, forsaken parts of the world or in inner city places. There's a dynamic ministry that's being fulfilled, a global ministry, uh, a national ministry uh, at local home, at home, and abroad. And this is what God is doing to our college. And what you see behind me Uncompromised biblical teaching is the center point uh, of where we stand. I would compare us, and this is a dangerous comparison, but the Harvard Universities and Princetons of the founding era of this nation were institutions where the Bible was taught, where ethical and sound practices, uh, moral compass was gauged. Those men who studied and women at those early uh, colleges went on to be instrumental in the founding of this nation. They also went into a number of different professions. They did not just become ministers and pastors, they became leaders. So I know I'm right here in the world of UNI. I'm glad nobody was wearing UNI, you know, clothing this morning. That's usually what I see when I'm here. But, uh, you know, it's a, a great institution, but you are not going to get all of what you see behind me at that place. You have a wonderful Christian and supportive biblical community here, and I'm thankful for what God does. We have not seen a lot of students from this fine local Bible chapel over the last few years. I would encourage you to consider and ponder what God is doing and whether he might have that as a place where you would uh, consider attending, consider studying, Thank you for the support from this uh, Bible chapel. It's much appreciated. I know that you, as a leadership and individuals, have a heart for what we do. I know that, uh, and I'm thankful for that, and I ask you to pray for our students because they are just like the students who attend the local institutions here. They need your prayer. They come with their backpacks full of emotional and historical baggage. They come from different backgrounds. Uh, they profess Christ when they come, yet we see some who come to know the Lord, who come and accept him as their Savior, because they don't really understand what it is they actually believe, and we get to confirm that to them and see them renewed in their faith and in their walk for the Lord. Thank you for these few moments. Let's uh, turn now to the, the passage of uh, the day and the topic of the day, which is an introduction to uh, the book of Galatians. Screen up, right, Galatians chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1 to 10.
watching the clock there. If I look that way, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> I, I was told the floor opens up and swallows me at around 11.30. <laughs> Paul, an apostle, not sent from men nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forevermore. Amen. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, if an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. And we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. For I am now seeking the favor of men or of God. Am I striving to please men? If I were still striving to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Paul is commissioned by God, is seeking to present uh, a message from his heart, a message from God, a message of truth. It's a message of uh, freedom, a message of liberty in the gospel. Now, let me take you to another scenario in your mind for a moment. The U.S. revolutionary period of this nation involved many hard-fought battles, as you know, from the first engagement with British troops in 1775 until what's considered to be the end of uh, the revolutionary period, the Battle of Yorktown, six years later, tens of thousands perished. They gave their lives as a direct or indirect result of the battles and the conflict. General George Washington, who led the war effort for the United States, led one battle after another. He suffered deprivation, cold, hunger, separation from his home over a total of an eight-year period. And we, of course, we stand forever grateful as American citizens to our founding fathers for the, the liberty and the freedom and justice that was secured for us uh, and that we're able to experience in this nation. Now, imagine for a moment that the hostilities being over, that General George Washington having sacrificed greatly and won this valued independence for the nation, for a new nation, that the United States Congress were to have undermined him and, and reverted to British rule after that with its arbitrary dominance and regulations that were experienced. Can you imagine Washington's disappointment, his uh, consternation, perhaps even his anger, given all the passion he had and the commitment and his own life that he put into it and the many deaths that he saw all around him? Can you imagine how he would have thought about that? Now just imagine the Apostle Paul's similar passion and disappointment over a relapse among the churches in uh, Galatia. The book of Acts uh, provides a narrative of Paul's missionary journeys, the apostle Paul, throughout the formation of the early church. And it includes 
the accounts of his persecutions, his uh, stoning, um, his um, trials, his conflicts that he records, and all this because uh, the Jews persecuted him because his message to the Gentiles, an ap- a message of the absolute grace of God to anyone who believes without partiality, without the encumbrance of Jewish laws and traditions. These were laws, of course, and traditions in which Paul was steeped from his youth. Saul, as he was formerly known, the apostle formerly known as Paul, um, now he was known as Paul, he was trained, and he was once willing to imprison people and even kill people for the sake of the traditions that he learned. But Paul stepped out of this former lifestyle under the call of God at great uh, personal and I would say probably social sacrifice too. Can you imagine the network that he had as a Pharisee? Uh, What he had built up, his education, the people he knew. Isn't that what life is all about? It's not what you know, it's who you know. And Paul walked away from all of that. He walked away from it entirely to uh, pursue a life of beating, of imprisonment, of shipwrecks, of torture. And ultimately, we read of his, uh, not in scripture, but in tradition of his martyrdom, that he gave his life. So, even Paul's disappointment is little, though, when compared to perhaps what the Lord Jesus himself felt. And Paul's sufferings that I just enumerated some of it, even that is little when compared to the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ on our behalf. We remembered him this morning with great delight. Scripture tells us that he paid the entire price, the entire price, no sales tax to be added. Uh, To cite a few scriptures, Romans 8 verse 3, for what the law could not do, God did, sending his own son as an offering for sin. What the law could not do, God did, sending his own son as an offering for sin. 1 Peter 2 verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. So in light of Christ's sufferings and death for us, a work which God attested to by raising the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, how do you think Christ might view our puny efforts to add to his work and to try to save ourselves? In light of his uh, great and finished work on the cross, Do you really think there's anything that you can do to add to your salvation, to improve your chances of getting to heaven? If Christ has done it all, what is there left for me to do? That type of thinking would be an affront to what the work of the Lord Jesus Christ completed on our behalf. He secured secured our salvation for us entirely. For by grace you have been saved through faith that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. So that is where we stand. That is our position from Scripture. That is what we firmly believe and what I know is firmly believed here and preached. And here we enforce and reinforce and state over and over again 
that salvation is by faith, not works. Now, I would say that an exposition of Galatians would not really be complete without perhaps reviewing some of the experiences of the apostles, the Jewish roots of the gospel from the book of Acts. The, uh, the book of Acts gives us the background to what took place here. The book of Acts provides a vivid description of the early days of the church and the conflicts between Jewish tradition and the, the gospel, which was brand new. Jerusalem was uh, where the gospel first was revealed, the day of Pentecost. And as we know, it was a distinctly Jewish community on the day of Pentecost it was a global gathering for Jews from all over the world, all over the inhabited world at that time. At that time, thousands accepted the gospel as we read the record in the book of Acts. But who were these men and women who received the gospel, who recognized Jesus as their true Messiah? They were largely, essentially, Jewish believers, people who had been present in the area some who were visiting from the area, but they were largely Jewish people. The gospel had not yet gone to the Gentiles. They repented of their sin in rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ and crucifying him, but they held tightly to many uh, of their traditions, including, for example, not associating with Gentiles. When Peter first proposed going to visit a Gentile believer, Cornelius, who was a man of faith, but who did not know the gospel. He believed in God. He was an honorable man. He did good things, but uh, he did not really understand the gospel. When Peter first went there, he was accused of associating with Gentiles. So that was the culture of the day, that the Christian culture, the believing culture, was one that was, again, steeped in Judaism at the beginning of... Um, of that time. And Paul, the writer of Galatians here, he was called by God as an apostle to the Gentiles. So that was new. Now, Peter, we read in the book of Acts, was the first one to bring the gospel to a Gentile, to Cornelius. But Paul was later named the apostle to the Gentiles. And again, he writes that through many uh, tribulations, conflicts, and persecutions, at the hands of the Jews, he persisted in establishing churches throughout Asia Minor, throughout the region of Galatia in that first century. But there were factions. You can imagine uh, the cultural and the historical background just described how that resulted in disputes, in contentions, in factions, in separations. It's not easy to let go of your past, is it? It's not easy to when a new thing comes along. So they still, the Jewish believers still had great value and um, had, had great concern for the Jewish traditions with which they grew up and believed that they were traditions that were important in the things of God. So I'd like you to turn with me for a moment to Acts chapter 15. The Jews, again, still viewed these as signs of true devotion to God. And this is all the setup, and uh, we may not, we will not get far into the book of Galatians today, of course, but I'm glad you're starting the series and uh, privileged to have this opportunity. 
uh, I trust, to set the background in place somewhat. So Acts 15, I'm going to read uh, down into this passage a little bit because uh, this is a foundational meeting early in the church era of the apostles and elders that took place amongst the early church. There are, there are certain memorable moments in history. Perhaps the Constitutional Convention was one. Perhaps they did not really realize the lasting significance of what took place and what would come and how we would be debating what they wrote hundreds of years later. And there are these moments in history that are memorable and foundational where the, those who met had little idea of the lasting impact. Uh, and this is one of those moments. This can never be forgotten because of the enduring nature of what happened. Acts 15, and this will hark to these verses in Galatians that we just read. Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. Therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and were bringing joy, great joy to all the brethren. Many of these were likely Jewish brethren, so there was great joy. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and by the apostles and by the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up and said it's necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. The apostles and elders came together to look into this matter. And after there had been much debate, can you imagine? It's just a little phrase there. It's a, the Holy Spirit, in directing and inspiring the scriptures, left out the details. Have you ever been in a, a meeting of the church where there's some hot button issue and there's just great debate? Aren't you glad that some of the minutes are deleted and just a summary is written in the end of some of these great debates? And after there had been much debate, I can't imagine, Peter stood up and said to them, brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you and that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God who knows the heart testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did also to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we're saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in the same way as they also are. Just so far, again, for context. And so it's worth... Uh, Understanding the relationship of what happened in Acts 15 at this council of the apostles and elders and how it relates to the teaching of the book of Galatians as you spend a season studying it. So this section provides us with a little bit of the origin of the issue that Paul deals with. It's not certain in uh, my reading and understanding whether the council of Jerusalem occurred before or after Paul wrote the book of Galatians. There may be better theologians who have studied historical New Testament 
who would weigh into it. I bet you there's a few Bible college professors at Emmaus who would have an opinion on it. But the book of Galatians, Paul does not cite or refer to the authority of this council, so that might be one evidence uh, that this occurred beforehand and that the council was a period in which it was settled by the apostles and elders at the time. But we do not know for sure. But um, we do know that Jewish believers continued to practice some elements of Old Testament law, not so much as uh, an essential aspect of their Christianity, but as a part of their culture. And that, that's fine. We have a culture. If you travel to other parts of the world, there will be different cultural representations about how the remembrance of the Lord's Supper takes place, about how the preaching of the word is done, what kind of music is presented, and we probably would be amazed if we visited some of these places, and many of you perhaps have, to say, boy, that would not fly over here. So there's an element of tradition that is, that is okay, uh, but when tradition when tradition invades and becomes an element of salvation, becomes an element of requirement. That is, uh, when sin enters in, when obligations enter in. So, um, Paul and Barnabas preached the gospel. When they went to these regions throughout Galatia, as described in Acts 11, 12, 13, and later on, we, read, we do not read that they enforced upon the believers any other obligation but to believe by faith. We, did, we do not read that they enforced any of these traditions, even though Paul himself did still practice some Jewish traditions. So this all came to a head in Antioch upon the arrival of some Jewish Christians who began to teach the Gentiles that they needed to be circumcised. That's Acts 15, verse 1, that took place in the city of Antioch. So the root of the conflict is really a deep difference in understanding and a definition of the gospel. Paul and Barnabas preached that the shed blood of Christ alone was sufficient for salvation. These Jews adamantly protested. And they said it wasn't enough. We've got to, they've got to come into Judaism. They've got to basically follow at least some of the traditions of the Jews of history. In other words, Christianity was to be a subset of Judaism, not a new thing. And they, perhaps they believed it sincerely. Perhaps they wanted power and authority over the church. Perhaps they wanted to have some control. But they did not believe it was sufficient to trust in Christ as their savior alone. And of course, the essential sign that of conversion to faith that the Jews were pushing for was, was circumcision. They were no longer advocating for sacrifices. They were no longer advocating for a lot of other things, but for some reason, circumcision, that was the one sign that they wanted. So a delegation, as we read in Acts 15, a delegation made their way to uh, Jerusalem Along the way, they stopped. Uh, as noted, there were other believing churches that rejoiced to hear that the gospel was going to, uh, to the Gentiles. God was saving people broadly. It was beyond the bounds of Jerusalem, Judea. Uh, it was what the Lord Jesus had said to them when he commissioned them, that they were to take the gospel to the, all the ends of the world. Acts 1, verse 8, Jerusalem, Judea, all the ends of the world, that this concentric circle where the gospel should go broader and broader outwardly. Now, so the Jewish brethren 
were adding these requirements. The delegate convention had scarcely started when it said some Pharisees stood up. So you can just imagine the scene. We have the floor. We, have a, we, we want to get this out right from the beginning. They've got to be circumcised. They've got to follow the traditions of Moses. Why were these people so adamant about the Old Testament law? They were identified as those who came from Judea. Verse uh, 5 enlightens us in, in Acts 15, where we were. They were part of the sect of the Pharisees who had, in fact, believed. It said they had believed. They had placed their faith in Christ. So it was not that they were pure Jewish. It's not that they were ones who rejected Christ. They understood and received and had confessed uh, as part of that great congregation that was perhaps saved in the early uh, days of the church. But the issue was clear. Do the Gentiles have to convert to Judaism in addition to converting to Christ? So Peter testified that God had shown no partiality between the Jews and Gentiles by giving the Holy Spirit in the same way to both. And so that was a key evidence. And um, much more could be studied about the Council of Jerusalem in Acts 15, but it does serve as a foundation for Paul's letter to the Galatians. Uh, for those who now appear to have come under the influence of these same men from Judea, uh, they're, we call them Judaizers, uh, men who came down and wanted to bring an influence on the gospel. So it brings the great question which Martin Luther faced 500 years ago as well, years later, how can a man be saved? How can a woman be saved? How can mankind be right with God? Uh, are there obligations? Are there payments to be made? Are there, is there anything beyond faith? By faith alone, by grace alone. And that is the battle that it did not end in the book of Galatians. It continued again in the time of Martin Luther, the great Reformation. And I would say, if you look in your own heart and in, among your own congregation and in your own network, I would say it's a battle that continues in our hearts to this day to accept uh, one another, to accept the struggles that I may have had as a coming to Christ and walking with Christ, uh, the battles, the conflicts, if it's been a journey of faith for me and that someone else might come in much later and simply believe with no baggage, no history, or with a lot of baggage and come in with their sin and be granted the same status. What's your pedigree? You didn't grow up in Bethany Bible Chapel. You haven't been here for the, the last 35 years. You didn't help build this building. What right do you have to be here? Where, where, when are you paying your dues? What are those dues? And so sometimes we have that same attitude with one another. We must, uh, we must guard again against that. So back to Galatians 1 as we wrap up shortly here with a, a, a brief comment on these few verses that were before us. So Paul here is making this, this theological defense of the gospel of grace and of freedom is in Christ. Paul, throughout the book, as you continue the study, you will see that he presents uh, a number of personal anecdotes. He puts himself into this story. He tells of his own personal journey of salvation. He tells of his own uh, 
his own uh, studies of the word of God. He tells of his own separation from the apostles early, that it wasn't immediately that they accepted him either, that it was a process of time before he had, uh, it was able to go to Jerusalem and meet with the apostles and the elders that existed, and that God sent him into the desert in Arabia to, to hear from him, to receive his word, to understand what he says in verse 1, Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. This is the word that Paul received, this word of freedom and liberty in the gospel, uh, this word uh, that he fought for, that he traveled for, for which he was persecuted. This was his great disappointment, his great consternation to see them falling back. Now this introduction, this opening, to the epistle to the Galatians, Paul wrote many letters. And most of them he makes quite nice at the beginning and gives a beautiful introduction and mentions prayers for the saints and uh, notes uh, wonderful things going on in their congregations and how he's pleased with what God is doing and how they, for example, how they turn for I from idols or how they're constantly praying for him. You know, not here. He lays right into them right from the beginning because he has this, this burden, this heart, from the beginning, his opening uh, words is very clear in verse 4 that he sets it forth from the beginning. Uh, there's no doubt where he's going. Who gave himself for our sins? He gave himself for our sins. Nothing you can do will add to what he did in giving himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age. It must have been hard for Paul you know, we talk about this present evil age and we think about, you know, what's going on on the internet and liberal people doing bad things and stuff that we don't like and we say that's this present evil age. Think about the age in which Paul lived. Again, his history and his background in Pharisaical Judaism. And that was the present evil age. Amongst other, there was the Greek philosophy, there was so much else that was evil. But what Paul is here saying, there's an evil among us, there's an evil in this age which is, which, from which we have been released, from which we have been freed by the work of Christ, from which we have an opportunity uh, to have a relationship with God with no interference, no human interference. That is what's going on in this present age. And you are going back into the evil of the past. You're burdening, constraining yourselves. You're being constrained by evil influences that are coming upon you. But Christ has rescued you from the evil. And it must have been so hard for him to think of it in this way. But, uh, and he writes so clearly in the book of Romans about all the benefits of being an Israelite and the history and what God had done through the dispensation of the Jews. And yet at this point, this is past history. The gospel has been proclaimed. Freedom in Christ has been proclaimed. And, and now what is being presented contrary to it is accursed. Those who present it are accursed. Uh, those who are former Jewish colleagues of Paul, he says if anyone comes, they should be accursed. What an what a evil pronouncement by Paul. What a hard thing for him to have to have done. But this represents his, his passion, his, his calling, his conviction for the things that God had placed before him. So he presents this, sh this shocking and very direct opening to them. Don't be sucked in 
by what you're being told because it's not true. Paul asserts his authority, his apostolic authority. He asserts uh, here what we believe, uh, the infallibility of the word of God, the authority of it, its inspiration by God. It's uh, something that was part of his calling and understanding. And um, today, there are modernists, there are liberal theologians. Uh, we have them present among us in this era, in this age. They're writing books, they're putting their blogs out there. They're seeking to divert us as well from the true gospel. Thankfully, there's so much that is true out there as well. There's so much that we can find that affirms and underscores and works with us on the presentation of the gospel. But we must beware of what we're exposed to and judge it carefully because, again, there's much out there in this present evil age that would seek to undermine the liberty and the freedom that we, that we have in the gospel. So from, uh, from the very start of this book, Paul um, affirms the central message of the gospel that Jesus died to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of God. Those who believe in Christ have come to understand and acknowledge that fact. Have you personally come to the point of recognizing your need for a savior? Have you come to the point where you recognize that there is nothing good I bring simply to your cross I cling? That, as I said before, Christ has paid it all. There is no sales tax for you to pay. There's nothing that you can add to what he has done. And if you're still trying to do that, still trying to pull yourself up in some way by your bootstraps or whatever you might be relying on to try to lift yourself, come as you are. Come to Christ as you are. Come to this congregation of believers. Uh, come in faith and come and share your experiences with Christ. Come and share your simple devotion to him. No matter what your background is, no matter, as I read this morning, have you been in alcoholism? Have you been in pornography? Have you been in depression? Have you been in a wayward life? Perhaps there are men and women here who have not experienced any of that and you're intimidated and you say, you know, these are, these are such historical Christians. I don't stand with them. I, I can't. I don't compare with them. I can't rank with them. I, how can I sit in the same place with them? I'm filthy. I'm dirty. Well, Christ has cleansed you. You cannot do that work yourself. You cannot add to that work. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. That is the message of the gospel. That is the message that I want to leave you with this morning as you start this study in Galatians, as you delve into the conflicts that existed in the early church, there's history to understand. There's theology to understand. There's anecdotes to read of. And this is a wonderful book, and I pray that God will bless it. But in the end, I pray that men and women here will come to Christ through the words of this book, through a thorough understanding that through Christ and him alone, through him and his finished work on the cross is the only hope of your salvation. When you revert to something else, when you rely on something else, you have gone backwards and you are on shaky ground. 
God bless his word and may God bless your study of the book of Galatians in the months to come. And uh, we're gonna conclude and just close in prayer at this point. And may God add a blessing to the gospel message and to his word. Our Heavenly Father, we just bless you and thank you this morning for the record of your word and we thank you for this congregation, this group of believers and perhaps there's unbelievers in this uh, crowd this morning. I'm sure there probably are. And I pray that by your Holy Spirit you would work amongst this group, that you would work in this room, that there would be a conviction of sin, but not just a conviction of sin, but that there would be a recognition that the only hope for eternal life, the only hope of salvation is in the finished work of Jesus Christ. That no human effort on our part, uh, no compliance, no cleaning ourselves up will ever be good enough. We thank you for the grace of God as shown in our Savior, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you in his precious name. Amen.